Acts chapter 2. Let's read the word of the Lord, reading from the New International Version, verse 40. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000, how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. That means 3,000 people got born again and saved. They got saved, born again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, thank you for what you did in the first service. Now in the second, we pray that you'd release unto us revelation. Give us living understanding. Move, Lord, in power, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I uh, travel uh, from time to time, and as I travel, I get to experience the body of Christ, for which I'm grateful. We go to other churches. When we're on vacation, we go to churches. Sometimes I preach in other churches. But when I get home, invariably, when I find myself back in another service here at KC, I weep every service as I've returned, you see, from a trip. I'm here, and I, and I cry in the front. The Lord overwhelms me. Because of what God's doing here is absolutely supernatural and so precious to, my, to me and to my family. And is beyond, uh, beyond me. It doesn't really have anything to do with me. I'm part of a team. I happen to be the quarterback, if you can look at it that way, leader. But God is pouring out His Spirit. And we are seeing tremendous results being brought forth in the lives of the families of this house. And we're encouraged by it. And so as we look at this, these verses of Scripture, you get a picture of what the first Spirit-filled church is like. We are a Spirit-filled church. That's who we are. We're, we're not afraid of the gifts of the Spirit or, or don't put the gifts of the Spirit in some back room, although you'll find them there too. We believe that the Holy Spirit should have operation in every aspect of our life, whether we're home, whether we're in church, whether we're in the school, whether we're at Kmart, whether we're at Walmart. And so I want to preach a message to you entitled Being the Spirit-Filled Church. Being the Spirit-Filled Church. And I thought there's many verses that you could look at, but this is probably some of the best ones as we look at the first Spirit-Filled Church here in the book of Acts. First of all, all the early believers in Jesus were Jewish. You all know that. They were Jewish at first, and then began to bring in Sumerians and began to bring in other uh, Gentile nations began to come in. But Jews, they saw themselves as becoming part of a, a messianic community. Amen. So there were Jews that first came in. How many of you know all the, the apostles there? They're all Jews, all of them. And they all converted to, to Christ, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they came into this messianic community. So Christianity was seen really as a sect of Judaism at first. And here, Peter preaching, 3,000 people get saved. Now, think about three. Can you imagine if 3,000 people flooded the doors? Of I pray that would happen. I, I've seen that in dreams. I've imagined that. 
I've seen thousands and thousands of people. I dream about that taking place. That's revival when it's just a wave of souls begin to come in and it just doesn't stop. You think, I think about the Jesus movement, the 1970s in California. Some of you might have got saved right at that time. and They were baptizing thousands of people in the Pacific Ocean. One pastor couldn't do it because your back's not that strong. I mean, how many people can you baptize? You can baptize maybe a hundred, but buddy, you, you're going to need somebody to take your place. We're talking about an outpouring of the Spirit of God that took place in California, but not just then. At other times in history... There has been great moves of God. I contend, I believe, I hope for and dream of God doing that kind of thing here. Doing that kind of thing in America. What would you do with 3,000 people? How would you disciple three? We have a challenging enough time discipling hundreds. 3,000 people. Can you imagine our foundations class, what that would look like? You just have to go to services on the hour or something. I, I don't know. You'd have to do something extreme. That's what happened in the first century church, this first spirit-filled church. And Luke, who the, the, great, the, the physician, not the great physician, the physician Luke, the great physician is who? Jesus. Luke writes the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is about, uh, some say it's the Acts of the Apostles. You'll see that even in headings on, on some of your Bibles. I, I don't really it's, believe it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of how I see that. And you, you also see it's, it's the story of how God, by His Spirit, through His people, moved the good, the good news of the gospel basically through the known world and to Rome, from Jerusalem to Rome. But it's here in this book of Acts that you see how the church became spirit-filled. You see how it grew. You see how they incorporated Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles. Into, I'm writing the notes now. Did you all get notes? If you didn't get notes, would you make the ushers aware and they'll help you out with that? Again, it's on the app right there. All right. And how the Gentiles came in and how it was structured. And Luke describes aspects of the first century church, the first spirit-filled church. He describes aspect of it. And by looking at these aspects very briefly this morning, we want to embrace them. We want to be like the way they were, really. Some people think that the first century church is perfect. They think we want to be like the first century. Man, they had issues. They had prejudice. They had all kinds of challenges. The first thing we see here in the text that we read about being a spirit-filled church, as Luke describes it, is that it was a learning church. What kind of church was it? It was a learning church. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted, devoted, they devoted themselves. They were committed to learning the word. I think we need to be a church like that. And I believe we are, but I know we can go to the next level. You need to learn the Word. Listen, if you don't know the Word, you will be a weak Christian. One of the challenges that Pentecostal churches have, and I see us as a Pentecostal church, although the reason they called them Pentecostals is because they preached about Pentecost all the time. (laughs) How many of you know what Pentecost is? It's a Jewish holiday when the outpouring of the Spirit came there in Acts chapter 2. And one of the stigma that Pentecostal churches have is they don't teach the Word generally speaking. So it's, it's, it's... a lot of joy, maybe, a lot of pulpit pounding, oil being slung, and people just going off, but no character, no, no, no teaching of the Word. I really hope and pray and endeavor to be a church that's not only free in the Spirit, but it's grounded in the Word. I don't preach and teach to you from the Encyclopedia Britannica or Reader's Digest. We're looking at the Word of God today. We need to be a people that learn the Word. The first century church 
learned, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles' teaching is really revelation and teaching that they were bringing. It's really like New Testament teaching, which we have, those letters and such. I had one person tell me, you know, you should only preach from the New Testament. That is the biggest bunch of hogwash. I think if you only learn from the New Testament, you're, half, you're only getting half the meal. I love the Old Testament types and shadows and learning from the Old, Co- Old Testament, the Old Covenant, releasing revelation into the new that changes our lives. All Scripture is God-breathed and given to, God, given to men for our correction and reproof and so on and so forth. So the Word of God, we need to learn the Word. Amen. It was a learning church. What should we be? A learning church. It was a place where they were cared, where people were cared for in loving, loving fellowship. They had fellowship one with another. Wow. Teaching and to fellowship. The word is koinonia, which comes from the word uh, that, that means common. You see, you can't have fellowship with an unbeliever. No, I just did the other. No, 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 that wasn't fellowship. No, I did. I just played Xbox 360 with Bubba, my next-door neighbor, and he's as pagan as the day is long. No, we just, no, but that wasn't fellowship. You hung out with Bubba. You spent time with Bubba. But that's not fellowship. Fellowship can only be, uh, can only be experienced in the context of believers. So you might think you're having fellowship, but you're not. You're hanging out with, spending time with, and we need to spend time with, so otherwise people wouldn't get saved or being brought to the knowledge of Christ. But fellowship is believers spending time one with another. It's so important. In Scripture, you see they call each other brother. They didn't, it wasn't like the cool thing. What's up, bro? It's cool now, but then they meant it. They called each other brother and sister because they were really part of a family. Really part of a family. You know, I had, a, again, a fascinating experience with you all, Samuel and Karen, your family. They, they had a horrible car crash uh, in town just the other day. And I was in the middle of really important things. And uh, you sent me a text. It's because of your text and a number of other things that took place here. Let me read it. That's, that stirred me to this message. What had happened is they were coming on Palmer Wasilla Highway and a car from the other side of the road right there by Petco flipped over the median and landed on their car. And um, Samuel sent me a text. See if I can find it. There it is. Sent me a text of the condition of their car. We've been in an accident. I mean, all I saw is we've been in an accident and our daughter's trapped in a car. Whatever was going on with me got second or third place, and this became the first. I knew how close it was, and I just dropped everything and raced over there. Couldn't get there by, by normal routes because as soon as I got to the Palmasillo Highway, lights were backed all the way up to Seward Meridian practically. And so I took the highway, came down, and was asking the Lord to give me a way to get in there because I just felt like it was life, this is life and death, because you can't look at a car like that and realize there's somebody dead here or going to die. God, you know, no, no. I mean, it just, does anybody know what I'm talking about? It just, it just was so urgent for me and, and, uh, and, and for their family as they were aware of that. And I, I raced my Cummins into, into uh, Target, blazed across the parking lot, and uh, there was locked up at Target. It was, it was a traffic jam right there, so I felt led of the Lord to blaze across the grass. And uh, 
I, I didn't burn my tires or anything. I lightly went over all the curbs, blasted through into another parking lot with a cop sending his lights off at me, and, and uh, we charged. And um, I saw you in, your, in, the, in the stretcher being put into the, into the ambulance. And I don't know if you remember that, but Samuel was there. And I, and I heard Samuel say, Pastor! And I saw you, and I said, fellas, wait! And we prayed. They stopped, they prayed, and they put him in. They're like, who's this guy? I think, you can go ahead now. <laughs> and you send me this text that touched my heart. Because I hope that we're like this. So thankful to be part of this wonderful book of Acts, Holy Ghost-filled, on-fire church of the living God. Yeah. Hallelujah. All praise be to God who protects his children and promises them long life. Just so overwhelmed and thankful. I guess we'll have a testimony for morning prayer. <laughs> do you know why I was able to get there? And I'm not saying anything about me. I happened to send it to me and send it to other people. But do you know why I was able to get there? Because I found out about it. What do you mean by that? The first century church, the spirit-filled church, they cared for each other. First century intercession, inter intercessors for each other, it's different. When you know somebody and their life's on the line, when you know somebody and their baby's in the hospital, when you have relationship with somebody, come on, we've been through some challenges together. We've prayed through some things and some wars and all kinds of stuff, right? Because, because, I, because I know you, because, because we've developed relationship. And many times people never experience the power of a church and a church family and koinonia. Because they never let down their guard. They rush out of church into their car to get to the next thing. And we can be in such a rush to get to buffet our bodies, eat lunch. Or such a rush to go do something and actually miss the connection that can take place. I'm not saying it, the miracles because of me or anything. But, but I thank God that we were able to be there for each other. Family. I said, but we're family, right? Do you have a church family? I'm just wondering. And I know you're here this morning. I'm, I'm just saying, do you have a church family? If you come here this morning, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a church family. I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying we have to let down our guard to care for each other and to have fellowship one with another. I challenge you to take someone out to coffee. Come on. Meet some new people. And we do this a lot. There's a lot of love here, and I'm so grateful. But that's what the first century spirit-filled church is like. They cared for each other. They had fellowship one with another. Wow. It was a giving church. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we're talking about a spirit-filled church as expressed in the book of Acts through Luke, who experienced it all, what it was like. The first thing, it was, it was a learning church. They learned the word. They were devoted to the word. The second thing is what? Do you guys have notes? Are you paying attention? Do I need to start from the beginning? What's number two? Right, did fellowship. It's number three. It's a giving church. Acts chapter four, verse three. I'm going to be asking you to repeat them again. So if you haven't been filling in your notes, maybe you could encourage me by starting to fill them in. Okay, three. It was a giving church. And what kind of church? It's a giving church. Acts four thirty-two. All believers were in one heart, one mind. No one claimed to have any possessions that were their own, but they shared everything in hand. I've I've heard people use that verse as an argument for for communism. 
First of all, everything belongs to God, and you are a steward of it. The Lord asks us for 10%. It's called the tithe, and we return that to him. If you are ever part of a group of, of believers and they start telling you what you're supposed to do with your property, with your money, and how you need to give it, or they call you up and say, you need to, you, you made a vow and we're coming. I'm sending Vito Sarducci. He's coming to your house. You know we did to, you know we did to your brother. We just might do it to you. Gonna come and collect. You made a vow for your 50 pounds of candy. And we know got a list right here. And you didn't give no 50 pounds. You gave 20. So we're coming. And if I gotta break your knees, caps, that's what's gonna happen. Don't ever be a part of a place that tries to control you, manipulate you. Don't ever give. If you're ever feeling manipulated, hold back. Don't give and under manipulation. Don't ever do it. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that everybody had this revelation that, man, God owns it all. How many of you know God owns it all? God owns everything. And this revelation was like, wow, God owns everything. You have a need? And then they went and ministered, led by the Spirit. to men. I've been in services where people have given away cars with somebody that's crying that needed the car and keys were passed and crazy stuff like that. But if you ever in a place where, you know, a leader collects everything and distributes it equally, that is communism. That is socialism, and it's not, a, it's, not a, it, it, it's not godly. It's not a scriptural principle. We're just stewards. And we, we, we all own stuff, has a sense of owning it. We're responsible for it. But we, they, they let the Lord use them in blessing other people. No one had any needs. It's kind of amazing. It was a worshiping church. This is fascinating. For is a worshiping church. What kind of church? A worshiping. What's number one? A? Number two? Number three? It's a giving church. All right. Number four, it was a worshiping church. And this is interesting to me. Acts 2, 42, they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. In the Greek, it's not just breaking bread. People think that they're eating, just eating a meal. It's bre the breaking of the bread. There's an article there. The bread. What is the bread? It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. I said in the first service, I'll say to you, have communion in your home. He said, well, I need to wait for a priest. No, you know, you, you are a priest. If you're born again, and you can be your own priest. And then he's the high priest of our confession. Amen. But you can have communion, and I would venture to say, should have communion in your house. If you've never done that, man, gather your family together and do it. And listen, you could use orange juice, you could use grape juice, you can use water, you can use, you can use milk for God's sake. You don't have to be Welch's grape juice, and it certainly doesn't have to be wine. And we don't use wine so we don't stumble former alcoholics, okay? That's why we do that. So it doesn't have to be Welch's, it doesn't have to be red. It, doesn't, it, it could just be, and it doesn't, have to be in a little, it doesn't have to be in a little plastic cup. It can be Wonder Bread, Seven Grain Bread, Whole Grain Bread. It could be pita bread, matzo bread. It could be sweet bread. Ooh. It could be saltines. Any saltines fans out there? It can be any kind of bread. I've taken communion with no bread and took it anyway. By faith. I'm totally serious. I didn't have any bread. I'm like, oh, Lord. Are you getting this? So important that that's an aspect of your worship in your home. You hang out at my house, 
My house is filled with worship all the time, nearly all the time. There's always worship going on. There's always prayer going on. And we take communion in my house. I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Some of you are fighting some stuff in your homes. You need to sanctify that thing. You, you walk inside the threshold of your door today, and you command the enemy to break off your house. You speak peace. Have a zero strife policy. You should have oil. I, I believe that. I believe you should have oil in our homes. In other words, a, a, a little bottle reserved, sanctified oil, just in case somebody's sick. And you can pull Wesson oil. You can use motor oil. Early days of Pentecost, Earl Schombach. How many of you remember him? Anybody remember Schombach? Yeah, they 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 were gonna like we're having an anointing service, and they did send the send the, the guys to go get the oil. They went and got the oil from the from Napa. It's cheaper, save money. Dump ten W forty all in a bucket, and he would just dip his hands in there. Lift your hands, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's coming out of your blouse. But it definitely ain't coming out of your hair. It was a worshiping church, and I believe that we should be a worshiping church like that. And by the way, communion is next week. And don't forget to set your clocks back one hour next week. They took the Lord's Supper. They prayed together. They what? They prayed together. You know, we have a lot of opportunity for prayer. And... Uh, I'm so grateful for that. And we're going to start some new prayer times. We're going to start a Friday night prayer meeting. We'll let you know more, more about that. We're excited about prayer. Prayer is, prayer is what they did. It's what we should do. And we do. But we, I'm, I'm believing for 24 hours a day, seven day a week prayer. We set up our new building to actually have a 24 hour a day, seven day a week prayer meeting. Day and night, nine days seeking his face because he's worthy. Can you imagine the, the, the youngster who's... who's, who's you know, the teenager or somebody's just lost it, lost their mind and can't go home or maybe there, something's gone wrong or awry or the young mother that can't take it and they can go to church because it's never closed. It's a church that never closes. That's a dream that we have. And we've designed this new one like that. And they can come up and get in a prayer room where the power of, their, power of God is there and the presence of God and have people pray for them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right now we have 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and 7 a.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's a 12 noon to 1 o'clock Wednesday to Friday. There's, there's a Saturday 7 a.m. prayer. There's Sunday morning 8 a.m. prayer. You say, are you kidding? No, no, we're, we're really into it. Why? Because, because they were like that. They prayed. You'll see Acts chapter 12, Peter is arrested they're in a small group. They're in someone's house having a prayer meeting. I think we ought to have prayer meetings. I think the family that prays together stays together. I sent my daughter off to Bible college. One of the most shocking things for her at Bible college. And she called us because she was like, it's so unusual, Dad. What's up? I go, well, what happened? She says, well, it's a prayer meeting. And it was all time to pray, so I just started lifting my voice and praying, and everybody's staring at me. And I was just like, it's just quiet. And it's like, they don't pray out loud. You taught me that we're supposed to pray. Yes, I said, yes, you're supposed to pray out loud. 
See, you have to have a, there's meditative prayer. I'm not saying it's the only kind. But corporate prayer, do a study on corporate prayer. Corporate prayer was not one person with everybody being silent. That's not what corporate prayer was. You can go to Jerusalem today and watch, go to the Wailing Wall today and see them. I, I went and I have a, a recording on, on my phone. I, I felt led to not put it all over Facebook and all of that because it's just too holy. But I went to the Wailing Wall. And at the Wailing Wall, you know, you got to put on a, 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 what are they called? A yarmulke, thank you. And uh, the, you know, there's men on one side, women on the other. We went down there. I'm like at the wailing wall. I'm praying. I took a whole handful of these, whole handful of these massive wad of these prayer requests and jammed them up as high as I could so nobody would ever get them out. And they're probably still there. Hallelujah. <laughs> I jammed those things in the wall. And as I'm praying, I look to my left, and there's this whole section of like, I don't know, there was library books, and there's Jewish, devout Jewish men praying all in there. And I'm thinking, well, I got a yarmulke. I probably could get in there. So I went through and I, I, I got in. They are facing. They had this, you know, this Torah was there. And they're, they're facing. And you think Pentecostals look unusual? I've had people like, well, how come you guys raise your hand? Gosh, if that scares you, you'd be totally freaked out getting into some of these guys praying. They're, they're rocking back and forth. And one guy, one guy would be all, ah. Oh, I mean, and they're crying out in Hebrew. I have no idea what they're saying. But I could feel God's presence. He said, how is it? I don't really understand it all, but they're praying with all their heart. And then and some guys are putting their, you know, their little braids behind their ear, and then they'd pull it out and be like. And so I put my phone in my pocket, and I thought, this is amazing. And so I got in there, and, you know, I start rocking back and forth, and the guy looks at me, I'm like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And I just got up a little closer, and they're reading out of the Psalms, and they're, they're reading the Word, and they're praying out loud. Everybody's praying out loud. The Western church is so nervous and so scared of being politically correct, and so you're just so watered down. Come on, passionate, fervent prayer makes a difference. And I believe that's what they prayed like. They, they prayed like that. All right, number something. Ah, uh, no, see, every day they met in the temple and houses. And we, we do the same thing. There's something happening every day of the week here. Small groups, youth groups, prayer meetings, precept groups, small Bible study men's groups, women's groups, recovering from life-controlling problem groups. There's all kinds of groups. There's church like every night. There's something every night. You could find something to go to every night. All right, five. It's joyful. It's what? It's joyful. i got to hurry up. It's joyful. Pastor Alex, when he came and led worship tonight, today, it was filled with joy. It was exuberant. We've had people leave the church because there's too much happiness here. No, I really, I've had people say, well, I can't come uh, to your church because it's just uh, it's too much joy. I mean, what do you say to that? I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm like, is it, did you feel like it's fake or, I don't know, it's just everybody's too happy. I mean, that's unusual, but listen, that's the way the church should be, filled with joy. I mean, it's called good news because it, it, it's good news to those who are broke, you don't have to be broke anymore. Those who are hurting, you don't have to be hurting anymore. Do you got pain? He's a pain taker. You lost. He's a way maker. 
If you need freedom and saving, he's a prison-shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain break. So that's good news. If you got chains, if you got bondages, if you got addictions, if your marriage is on the rocks, if you had cancer and he healed you, you know what that looks like? <laughs> it looks happy. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. You ever seen somebody who won the lottery? What does that look like? Oh, yeah. I won the lottery. You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. To the believer who really believes that they got delivered from hell or headed to heaven, when that becomes revelation for you, you can't help but smile. I'm just telling you, that's good news. You making fun of me because I'm depressed? I'm not making fun of you depressed because you're depressed, sir. But I'll tell you right now, you don't have to stay in that place. You can rise up and begin to, begin to get healed. You can get set free. Come on, you can speak to your soul. You can, you can believe for God to break you out of the lifestyle of depression and anxiety. You can believe for God. And when he does, you're going to smile. You might even shout. And I've seen some people run around the room. You ever seen somebody that was blind that got their eyes open? Have you? You know what that looks like? It takes over a service. So, you, you know, so often we just want cute Christianity. We pray for someone and, you know, make sure we have a mint. Just pray for them. When you see blind eyes open, when you say deaf ears unstopped, people scream. They scream and they shout and they look around and they run and they're, they're, they're freaked out with joy. Come on, the, the, a spirit-filled church of the first century was one that was filled with joy. It was reverent, a reverent church also, verse 46 and 47. The word reverent is obos in the Greek, and it means fear. It's a church that has the fear of the Lord. See, if, if we really had a fear of the Lord, we wouldn't do some of the things that we've done. If you, if you had the fear of the Lord, you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing right now because you realize that you're going to get chastised for it. The fear of the Lord will keep you. It's like the kid who's in, uh, you know, youth ministry says to the youth pastor, hey, I just can't quit from going and, you know, we're stumbling each other when we're in the car together. And I he says, well, you don't have the fear of the Lord. He says, no, yeah, no, I do. No, you don't. Let's imagine that the, the father of the girl that you're with comes up to your little Honda and taps on your window while you've have got your hands on his daughter and taps on your window with his sawed-off shotgun. Do you think you'd have a problem taking your hands off of her right then? Oh, no. No, no. It would be no problem. Your hands would be in your pocket. You'd be instantly delivered. you have self-control right away. Why? Because it's the fear of the psycho father with the sawed-off shotgun. And you have his princess captive in his car. And he just might shoot you. Instantly, you have self-control. It's the fear of the Lord. Ask God to give you... Teach us the fear of the Lord. Ask, that's a great prayer. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Show me. Come on, fool's goal where angels fear to tread. Come on, the fear of the Lord will keep you. It was a church that had reverence or obos in the Greek fear. Ananias and Sapphira, they dropped dead. If that was today across the, the, fr the frontiersmen, it would be Pastor Kills, two of its congregants, for not, for not giving or for lying. That's New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They were, glad, they, they, they were with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God. They, they feared the Lord. 
6, it was a church where miracles took place. Acts 5, the, the shadow of Peter falls on, on folks and they get, they get healed. And the seventh thing, it was a witnessing church. What kind of a church? A witnessing church. These are the components of a spirit-filled church right out of Acts chapter 2. This is what we need to do. God's speaking to us. Very simply, number one, devoted, committed. Are you committed? Be committed. Be committed. See, when my wife and I, we, we had a, a, our first son, Hannah was born. Our first son had what they called a fatal birth defect. She carried nearly full, full term. We believed for a miracle. When the baby came out, it was very clear that the miracle hadn't happened yet. And uh, as I'm holding my son in that operating room, I closed my eyes, and they, they say you're not supposed to be moved by what you see, but I was, uh, I was rather undone because we needed a major, major, major miracle. And I looked up to heaven in a loud voice in the middle of the operating room. I said, oh, God! And I was ready to pray, Lord, do this, do this creative miracle. I was full of faith. I fasted for 21 days, did a series on miracles. We saw all kinds of things happen, and I'm figuring, God, you're going to do it now. And the only thing I heard from heaven, which was very simple no I heard the Lord tell me no so no stopped my prayer dead in my tracks and I looked down and could feel the heartbeat of my son going slower and slower and slower and I thought well no means he's going to heaven then Whew, that's not what I had planned thinking Jesus they were helping Karen and I, I walked out of that operating room down a hallway into one of the most beautiful things I have ever experienced in all my life. It was a sea of people. To me, it was a sea. So it wasn't 20 or 30. It was about 70 people in a waiting room. Took over the waiting room. They were people that were my friends from church. I wasn't a pastor. I was a, was a small group leader. There were people that I developed relationships with, people that I had visited or helped, maybe some that I led to the Lord, others that, that were there that led me to the Lord. My, my mom was there, and Pastor Colleen was there. People pacing back and forth. God, do a miracle. Do a miracle, God. God, help, help Daniel. Help Karen. Oh, God, help them. Help them. I walked through that. I walked through this prayer meeting that took over the hospital. The, 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 the waiting room was shaking. It was like a, a hum went back in my room I had quite an encounter with the Lord and not to tell that whole story although it's powerful I came back out to thank everybody my son's now dead it's passed and when I went out I was crying Dr. Morocco wasn't able to make it some of the other pastors there Pastor Colleen was there and I remember she came right to me put her hand right on my chest tears running down her face and they prayed oh God and the Lord touched me when I opened my eyes I saw I saw these 70 plus people all looking at me, all stacked, piled together, tears running down their face. And the Lord said to me, you will know them by their love for one another. Now let me tell you why that happened for me. It's not because of any other reason that I developed relationships. That's all. That's all. I, I got to know people. I got, I got to know people. People got to know me. They broke, in, they broke into my life before I broke into theirs. And, and served and just been a part of the family of believers. Do you know, I want to tell you this. The wind of hell blows on everybody's life. And if you don't have a church family, I don't know what you're going to do. Oh yeah, there's Gethsemane moments. 
There's moments where there ain't nobody around and you get on the phone, you know, you try to reach somebody and there's nobody and it's you and it's a dark night of the soul and it's then that God can come and even send angelic messengers and minister to you and help you. You're going to have Gethsemane times. You're going to have those, a dark night of the soul. Even your Peter, James, and John, they're going to fall asleep. But you better have a Peter, James, and John too. And that just doesn't come by being casual and being not committed. Secondly, oh, I have this great letter, but okay, I'll read it. Would you just give me about three or four more minutes and I'll be done. This is a letter written by a a large church, Church of 8,000, written to Julian Bob Clark in Winston-Salem. And it says that uh, it's a newspaper article talking about the letter. I'll read a section of the letter. Julian Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from their church in July that asked them to participate in the life of the church or worship somewhere else. They basically called us freeloader, Julie says. Bob says we are freeloaders. In a trend that may signal rough times for wallflower Christians, Bellwether Megachurch Fellowship Community of Winston-Salem has asked non-participating members, non-participating members to stop attending. No more Mr. Nice Church, says the executive pastor, newly hired from Singular Wireless. Bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely to com- complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians were straining the church's nursery, the facility resources, and harming the church's ability to reach the lost, says the pastor. When your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with the goal. Faith communities sent a polite but firm letter to families who attend the church services for and freebie events, but never volunteer, never tithe, and don't belong to any small group or any other ministry. And the church estimates that of its 8,000 regular attendees, only half have volunteered in the past three years and a third have never given to the church. Before now, we made people feel comfortable and welcome and tried to coax them into giving a little and something in return or volunteering, says a staff member. But that's changed. We're done with the, being a community nanny. Surprisingly, the move to disinvite people has drawn positive response from men in the community and people from all over. It says, I thought a, a church that doesn't allow wussies rocks, says Bob Clark who admires the church since they told him to get lost. He and Julie are now tithing and volunteering. and We've taken our place in the life of the church. Now, that's pretty extreme. I'm not going to send that letter out. But I will tell you, if you don't learn to get involved in the church, usually about 90 days, you won't be here after about 90 days. You say, why is that? No, we want you to come. Please don't hear me the wrong way. There's, God has something for you in fellowship and through community that you can't get any other way. And if this is not the church for you because I'm bald or it's too loud or I wear a suit or we sing hymns or I, I spit sometimes when I preach or, you know, if, if it's just too much, that's okay. There's some great churches. There really are some great churches in the valley and we, we, we we're thankful. But find one and get in it and serve. You see, I... I, I I hear it this way. Stop ripping people off of the joy that you will bring to their lives. See, we think it's all about us. Oh, well, what do I get? That's because it's a selfie generation. You know, not here. Everyone here is perfect, right? 
Amen. Praise God. Come on, just wave your hand. Say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That makes you feel comfortable. Say, well, he's not talking to me, but that's good for somebody. Come on, tell your neighbor. He's not talking to me. We need to be a church that is like this, a spirit-filled church. You say, aren't we? We're growing and hoping to be. And I'm thankful for the love. I'm thankful for all this good here. and Wonderful. I'm so encouraged I am. But we have a big job to do to reach thousands of people. Since we are the church, embrace and live out seven characteristics of the first church. Write in your notes. I'm almost done. You ready? Be disciples. A student of God's word. Say, I'm going to be a student of God's word. Say it. I'm going to be a... You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But if you don't know the truth, then you're not free. At the entrance of his word, it brings life. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're not in the word, you're not growing in the word, then then you're going to be a weak, apathetic Christian. Come on, grow in the word. Be a learner of the word. Care for others. Everybody say care for others. Care for others. Take time. Meet five new people every service. Be a giver. Three, be a giver. Of your whole life. I'm not talking about tithing. I mean, including that. But I mean, your whole life. Be a giver. Be generous. Do some random act of blessing this week. Buy somebody's coffee. Somebody behind you at McDonald's. Buy, buy their food. Bless them. I remember the first time I did that. I'm at the McDonald's window. And I was like, I want to buy the food that's behind me. How much is it? <laughs> 24 and I, uh, Never mind. <laughs> I only had $10 in my pocket. So what are you going to do? Be like, it's $5. Yes! Be a giver. Everybody say, be a giver. Be a giver. For truly worship. I mean, I, I don't know how part-time, part-time worshipers serve God. Find a church. We'd love for you, to, for you to be, for it to be here. But find one and go regularly. I have a whole department called a Connect Department. Pastor Vince is one of our leaders over that. You know what he does all day? He visits people all day. All day long. Drives around as miracles from house to house. And we, and, we, and we visit people that recommit their lives or give their lives to Jesus. But a lot of our visitation is what we call absentees, people that aren't here anymore. Pastors have become administrators. Pastors are never just supposed to administrate. Somebody's actually got to be doing the work of the ministry, which is more than just preaching the word. It's counsel, it's laying hands on the sick, it's loving people, it's caring for people. And you know who the church is? It's you. It's me. It's all of us together. We've got to care for people. Truly worship, attend regularly, pray. Five, be joyful. Praise God. Yet have, have, hold him in awe. Hold him in awe. I'm almost done. My dad was a Marine, or is a Marine. I don't know. If you're a Marine, I don't know how that goes. Semper Fi. They keep saying Semper Fi. I wasn't a Marine. But I understand that once you're a Marine, then you're always a Marine. It's like this eternal fraternity thing. He's a Marine and a lawyer. So that was, that was quite a combo for a father. Don't laugh too hard, Mom. Okay. Quite a combo. And, uh, you know, you couldn't argue with him, and God help you. You know what I mean? If you did something wrong. Right? There's no arguing because you always lost. And then, and then you know, God help you if, if you didn't obey. But I'll tell you something. I felt loved by my dad, and I'm so thankful for, for the wonderful aspects of being a father that he did have. He, had, he was a God-fearing man, but that he wasn't, I wouldn't call him a man of God. Not like we know it. I knew he loved me. And you never crossed my dad. I just had, I just like, you know, if he said it, then, you know, you do it. And if he got big, then you, then, you know, oh, yeah, uh, uh, uh. 
there was a, an awe. I had an awe of him. I still do. That man, that man is a, that that man's a serious guy. He's he's almost eighty. He walks in the room. You know, he walked in the room. You know what I mean? Ask God to give you that for him. An awe, awe. That's just a man of the boy and his father, but respect and awe, reverence for the Lord, which is far above what we should have for any man, of course. Believe for miracles. I'm almost done. Believe for miracles to take place when we gather. Believe for miracles in your home. Come on, get, get communion together at your house. Get a, get a bottle of oil together at your house. Worship at your home. Believe for miracles. Somebody sick, pull the, pull, sick, pull the oil out. Just grease them up. There's nothing special about the oil. It's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Testify to what God has done for you. Testify. Be a witness. What has God done? I challenge you to testify to somebody about what God's done for you. And if you can't think of anything, then you probably need to return to your first love and remember what it was like when you first got saved. And if you don't remember what that was like, it might be that you've not been saved. It might be that you've never repented and become born again. If that's you, all, in fact, all across this place, I'm closing. All across this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, don't you leave this place in the condition you came in. Service will be over here in just a moment. So I ask you the most important question that anybody could ask you. If you died today, would you go to heaven? And if you can't say emphatically, absolutely, yes, and know that because you're going to heaven, because now you're a good person, but because Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again from the grave for you, if you can't say yes to that, then you need to be born again. You need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You don't get saved by going to church. You don't get saved by doing good. You can surrender your body to the flames. You don't get saved that way any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. So if you die today, or do you know you're going to heaven? If you don't know, I implore you, I plead with you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled, to receive Him, to repent, to ask Him to forgive you for your wrongs. All across this place, if that's you, you say, that's me, Pastor Daniel. I want to give my heart to Jesus for the first time. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up. Number two, you need to make a recommitment because you drifted in your walk and you know it. You've got to compromise. You're going to recommit to God. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand too. Or number three, third category. First one, you're going to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Two, you're going to recommit because you drifted. Three, you're just not sure and you want to be sure of your salvation. On the count of three, if you fit in any of those categories, slip your hand up. One, two, three. Do it right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Was that up? Are you, oh, you're just worshiping. All right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you right there. Come on, congregation, stand up on your feet all across this place. Stand up. Come on, somebody ought to say praise the Lord. If you meant business with God, I never want to embarrass anybody, but if you meant business with God, this scripture that says, Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before my Father in heaven, I'll acknowledge you. If you deny me, I will deny you. If you meant business when you raised your hand, you're serious about it, or you didn't raise your hand, and you know you need to come meet me right here. Quickly come. Quickly come, as Pastor Alex said. Come on, come, come on. Come on, come. People are coming. Come on, get right with God.
you need to come, just come right now. prayer whether you've come up front or you're online or you're still in your seat it's okay pray this right out loud say dear heavenly father thank you for sending your son jesus to die in my place forgive me of all of my sin and just as jesus rose again from the grave raise my life up now come into my heart come into my life be my lord be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you.